Welcome back to another episode of A Mental Health Break with Vincent A. Lancey. I'm excited to launch another episode for you all. I'm Vincent Lancey, speaker and author of the book Left for Dead, A Story of Redemption. When I was 21 years old, I was the victim of a hit-and-run accident while walking home from a friend's birthday. After coming out of a coma and suffering from a traumatic brain injury, or you may know of as a TBI, I soon realized that it was time to put my mental health on a very high pedestal. This transformative experience has led me to create a podcast that is all things mental health. Would it benefit you to hear from mental health professionals and influencers? Would it also add value to your life to hear real life and authentic stories from people talking about their mental health, the issues they face, and how they actively combat them? If so, you came to the right place. I want to start by congratulating you for making your mental health a priority. If you missed the last episode, be sure to download it after you tune in today. On this episode, I'm happy to introduce my guest, Sarah Harroyd. I met Sarah because of taking a risk, writing to someone I wanted to learn from and make a difference with. Turns out she was willing to make a difference with me on this podcast, and I'm grateful she is. She is a global goodwill ambassador and the director of mental health and addiction services at iCare Health. Sarah is a multi-award winning leader and an innovative visionary. She has a genuine tenacity for enriching others' lives while also remaining devoted to continuous self-development. And I could go on for a while with this one, so let me introduce Sarah Howroyd. Sarah, thanks for coming on. Hello, thanks for having me. Would you mind please giving a little preview of your story and introduce yourself to our listeners and also state your role relating to mental health? Sure, absolutely. So um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker um, and I oversee addictions counseling programs in uh, long-term care settings within the state of Connecticut. I also started a diversion program for opioid users with local law enforcement, but uh, most notably, I'm also a person in long-term recovery from opioids and have struggled with various different mental health issues since my teenage years. And so um, I'm uniquely qualified in the sense that I am clinical and uh, well-regarded in my field, but also a person with lived experience. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for coming on. It's always nice to have someone who could speak professionally and personally. You give such great perspective to our listeners. So thank you for sharing that. And on each episode, I always share a mental health story of someone who is famous because I want to let you, the listeners, know that you are not alone. I want you to understand that even though someone looks like they're healthy from the outside, they may not be on the inside too. So today I will introduce the mental health related story to Beyonce. And I chose this article because she's extremely popular and she can relate to a lot of listeners. And in the article, Beyonce spoke about the harms and dangers of perfectionism, more specifically how perfectionism relates to women and how that can disrupt a mental health. She was quoted in the article saying, it's not about perfection, it's about purpose. We have to take care of our bodies and what we put in them. Women have to take the time to focus on our mental health, take time for self, for the spiritual, without feeling guilty or selfish. And I think this is important to discuss because whether it be looks or a perfectionist with your professional work, it's vital to take these breaks and take care of your mental health. So, Sarah, what's some of your takeaways from Beyonce's story? Well, Beyonce is life. Um, <laughs> it's funny that you picked Beyonce because she's uh, my idol. Um, and I just love her and I love her story and I'm enamored by her and I really look up to her. Um, I think perfectionism was a very 
large difficulty in my own story and unrealistic expectations that I implanted on myself, but that society also put on me uh, inadvertently in my teenage years. Um, and growing up really Catholic, I think it's hard to not fall into the perfection trap sometimes. Um, but it's 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 something that we were taught, um, and especially for women, we we have very unrealistic standards imposed on women for what we expect them to look like, act like, think like. And um, I just love Beyonce, and I think she's fearless. And I um, I listen to her every day. So great yeah, great choice with her. I thought it was funny with the choice as well because I saw on your status the other day that yeah. all this can get better with the new Beyonce album. Oh, totally. I'm obsessed with her. It's so funny. I, I, I really, she's like my favorite artist for sure. And she's so about female empowerment and being a feminist and uh, she's just a badass. And I just, I'm, I'm in love with her. I love it. <laughs> I, I really just like people in the celebrity famous public spotlight, if you will, that actually use their voice for issues that are of you know severe importance something like mental health when she has I, can, I don't know how many followers she has but her legacy on music how many people listen to what she says if she's going to take time for her mental health hopefully other people will as well totally it's it's so 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 important um and and even her husband jay-z has been really open about how transformative um therapy has been and and i think it's really been pretty amazing to watch how some of those narratives have shifted around stigma especially for men and african-american men to engage in therapy and how i from afar have never observed a a more um a larger change in anyone's attitude and the way they cope than him and in, in everything they've gone through in the last few years but so I appreciate them both being so honest about that because it's clear that they've both done a lot of work on themselves. And that's a big part of mental health is doing deep inner work on yourself to, to be your best self. Absolutely. There's a lot of stigmas to be broken down associated with mental health. And we're both doing our part in different ways to slowly shorten that gap of what's okay and yeah. what's not. But now it's time for the main event, Sarah. On each episode, my guest and I will go over this series of six questions. I try to feature many valuable guests, doctors, influencers, and people talking about their mental health. So this slightly varies whether you're licensed or not. And today we have someone licensed, so we're ready to rock and roll. You ready to go? I'm ready. Let's let's go. Great. So many would agree that the more common or talked about types of mental illnesses are mood disorders, anxiety disorders, or schizophrenia disorders. What are some areas that you come across the most? So my area of expertise is addiction, um, and I think it's very, very prevalent um, to see co-occurring disorders as a result of addiction. We have about 60 to 70 percent of people who struggle with addiction issues also struggle with um, some form of mental health issue. Um, we tend to silo them in my field, but I really think addiction issues are mental health issues. Um, I tend to see depression, anxiety, um, sometimes addiction can mimic different mental health issues and it's really a, a matter of time as to whether it's an actual underlying mental health issue or addiction mimicking that. Um, I see a lot of depression. I see ADHD a lot, bipolar disorder, um, but I, I've worked with people across the gamut, um, personality disorders, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, eating disorders, um, and, and so I've really seen it all. Yeah, it's interesting how you say the drug effects can mimic a mental mm -hmm. health difficulty totally. how long does that really take to fade out where you're able to separate the two 
That's a great question. Um, it, it really depends on how young you were when you started. It depends on how long you've been going for. Um, if you are in your 60s or 70s and you start to have ethanol or alcohol-induced dementia, you're probably not coming back from that. However, the um, human body and brain is very resilient. So with harder drugs, it tends to take a year, if not two years, to for your brain to really balance itself out. But that's often why we see such a high relapse rate, right? As a whole, society will be like, oh, they had their chance, they blew it, they're choosing to be selfish, blah, 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 blah. But really what's happening is their brain and body feels so awful that the only thing that will make them feel quote unquote better in that moment is whatever their substance of choice is. And so that's why people often relapse um, so frequently. But there's often a period of deep depression and anxiety when you're first getting sober. And that's why um, relapse is so prevalent because those chemicals can make you feel better for that moment and then it progressively gets worse. But it can really take anywhere from a year to two years. Um, and even with alcoholism, some people will report feeling depressed afterwards for up to 10 years. Yeah, well, I appreciate It's really a struggle. Yeah, it's really, really a struggle that people don't realize. It's not as simple as, oh, I abstained. And a day later, I feel like myself, like I was a teenager again. You know, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that because that's something I was unaware of. And part of my goal of the platform is there's many reasons, but to shed light on issues that need light. Um, I really did not know that was that long of a transition. Yeah. So as far that was professionally speaking, is that similar when you were personally going through things, mental health related, the depression, anxiety? Totally. Um, I remember I never struggled with suicidal ideation in my life. And when I was first getting sober, it got very dark for me. And I was really hopeless and not so much wanting to complete suicide, but just wanting to stop because the right. depression was so dark. And again, your brain, what happens is when we flood our brains with chemicals, our brains forget how to make the feel good chemicals that we naturally produce. And so when you get sober, there's no more natural feel good chemicals. And so it's just, it's nothing. It's like a, a, a oasis of dry, desolate desert in your brain. And it's just, it's really dark. And, and I did personally go through that and it, and it was really, really hard time. Um, I found antidepressants to be helpful initially, um, but it's, um, I also observe a lot of people I work with who will sometimes need some form of an antidepressant, but we also live in a world that's very quick to put people on medications. Right. And so it's just kind of gentle dance between when it's needed and, and figuring out a time period with your provider for, for how long that should be. Absolutely. Well, was it, I wonder if it's something personally or if it was professionally, when did you really decide that a career relating to mental health was going to be the one for you? Was it because of your personal experiences? What, let's hear about it. Great question. So um, I actually was a social worker before I had my own bout with um with opioids. However, in retrospect, I started struggling with eating disorders around the age of 12. Um, I have um, ADHD that was diagnosed in 1989 when I was seven. Um, so I had some mental health issues, but it was kind of the triple whammy of uh, addiction, eating disorder, ADHD that, that really kind of pushed me to the other side of things. Um, and I think a lot of women tend to struggle with those three things. I see it a lot in the addiction circles, personally and professionally. Um, yeah. Addiction, eating disorder, ADHD, very common. And for men. Um, but so for me, I was a social worker. I went to undergrad for social work and I wasn't positive which element of the field I wanted to work in. And it kind of picked me. I, you know, in my mid twenties, I was in a car accident and prescribed an astronomic amount of opioids. And 
ended up getting kind of sucked into that vicious insidious cycle and it ended up cementing which realm of mental health I was going to be working in. Yeah, when I had my accident, obviously those pills are pretty easy to go for. And I don't know, it was weird through all the darkness. I had this piece of me that knew there's a chance I'd get addicted to these pills after the accident. I had a friend while I moved down to Florida. He passed away up in New York when I was down here. Through He went to rehab and got back out and thought things could be the same. And then he didn't make it. So yeah. through all that darkness, I just stayed away from those pills yeah. as much as I can and took a lot of the pain head on. And I was definitely more difficult at the time, but now I feel it kind of gives me a weird mindset when it comes to pain. Yeah, Yeah, gratitude almost, probably. Yeah, I mean, I just knew that, how can I just turn and stop? How am I going to stop if it makes me feel that much better with a metal leg and the brain injuries? But things happen for reasons. That's the scary hard part, right, is, is... When I got sucked into opioids, it was in the mid, it was around 2004, 2005. So it was mid 2000s. And we didn't know what we know now about uh, doctors handing it out like Skittles, right? And so the problem with opioids is they work. And and, and at least initially, right? They'll cause you, if, if you start taking them habitually, they'll cause you a lot more pain over the long term. But they really do work. They, they take away the emotional pain, the physical pain. And, and that's why they're so habit forming is it makes it all go away, at least initially. Um, and so, you know, when we have half of America or half American doctors be prescribing the equivalent of let, let's say let's say doctors prescribed crack cocaine, synthetic crack cocaine as rampantly as they did opioids, we wouldn't be astounded when half of America became addicted to crack cocaine. It's, right. So it's, it's right. again, there's a lot of it's a multifaceted issue. But that that is the problem with opioids is, is they they work initially. They just cause a lot of um, pain and distress <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, it's definitely a slippery slope. But what advice can you give to our listeners and what may be considered a potential early sign that they may be starting to develop some form of mental health difficulty? Sure. So my go-to as a clinician is always um, looking at what your normal best life baseline is and looking at the elements of, is this affecting your social life? Are you starting to isolate and pull away from especially positive relationships, right? People that kind of feed your soul. Are your finances affected? Is it affecting your ability to work or go to school? Are are your grades slipping? Um, Whatever your normal is, right? It's whenever you start to fall below whatever that threshold is for you, because for everyone it's different, right? My my normal is different than someone else's and vice versa. Um, Is is it affecting your ability to live a healthy life as far as food, sleep, the the biological stuff, um, working out? Is it affecting um, any of those really biopsychosocial, right? So is it affecting your your different abilities? I always say to people, um, at least within the addiction community, when you start to feel triggered to relapse, are you feeling, are you, so HALT, right? H-A-L-T. So are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? But I feel like that's even broader for the, the entire mental health sphere as far as looking inside and saying, okay, have, am I sleeping okay? Am I eating okay? Am I taking care of my body so that it's the strongest? And with everything we have going on right now, I feel like it's more important than ever that we prioritize, um, you know, exercise and sleep and, and strong nutrition. Yeah, I really liked how you said there, how everybody's different. You can't compare an apple to an orange, if you will. I mean, same thing with the brain injury. I said, how long is my brain going to take? They said it should be around up to five years, but everybody's brain's different. And now, you know, I'm year six, seven over here, and my short-term memory is just coming back, and that's after, you know, 2,000 days. Yeah. It's very weird. 
but there's always people that want to improve their mental health so they can avoid things. What are three and only three, because I want your three most important things here, short-term initiatives our listeners can start to be doing? Um, so again, back to basics, um, for me, sleep is everything. If I don't sleep, I fall apart. I'll cry because, you know, I have a quarter of a tank again, mean, insert whatever random situation and I'm crying. Right. So for me personally, sleep is a really, really, really big one. Um, feeding my soul and, and self-care is really important. So for me, I like to listen to audible books. I love, um, listening to music, Beyonce, Jay-Z, you know, Eminem, insert whatever. Um, and, and just really prioritizing really important time with my family and friends. And right now that's going to look like FaceTime, um, but we're right. doing the best we, we can. Um, and then also trying to have a balance, right, between work and life and, and, and really trying to balance the two and navigate it. And, in, in you know, living in New England, the, the New York Minute comment is very true, right? We are very mover, shaker, done, get it done, insert, you know, 50 gazillion things into one day's schedule. And really taking back and trying to exhale and 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 separate and have work ba- work life balance is really important. Yeah, and these things sound so similar to things people just overlook because they get caught up in life when you just slow down the little things. Can you make people say they can't make time? It's just you can always make time if you want to do it. And yep. that's just something people just don't want to believe. I mean, the long hours people have at, you know, doing what we need to do. We don't want to work forever, but we, we have to put in the hours. But I start with those short-term initiatives because I want people to realize that it's not, you can't just do something in a matter of seconds, if we, in a matter of minutes, you got to just piece away, piece away, piece away. So then let's bridge off that. What are the long-term commitments they can make? What are two longer-term commitments? Sure. So again, I, I, it's a short and a long-term, but exercise for me is really, really yeah. big. And people have differing abilities, right? I worked in senior housing for a long time and we did chair yoga, right? So I'm not saying everyone has to run a marathon. I'm saying whatever you're, you can do, it is really good for your mental health to stay balanced. Um, and for women with their hormones, it's really, really good to work out because for me, I am a lot more resilient as a human when I am well-fed, well-rested and working out. I can deal with issues as they arise and stress is much better um, when I'm working out. And again, it's different for everyone. What, you know, My workout is probably different than someone else's and that's okay. It's just really trying to keep your body and mind healthy and strong and they're so interconnected. And we live in a society that um, corporations don't want us to really focus on the tie-in between mind and body because Uh, We live in a society that is quick to put people on medicines and quick fixes and et cetera, but really the back to basics, uh, food, sleep, and and feeding your soul and exercise is so important. Yeah, it's crazy. At the time we're recording this, the coronavirus is going around and now everybody's starting to walk and do these things where I'm hoping it actually sustains in people because the fall off I've seen with overall exercises, you know, with the Uber Eats and everything, delivery and fast. It's nice to see people out and about. It's just scary with what's going on. But. Yeah, it's a scary time for sure. It's just there's a lot of unknown, but we, uh, you know, like we say at my work, you know, and, and I work in healthcare, you know, we're, we're preparing for the worst, but we're really hoping for the best. And, and that's really all any of us can do. And, and be kind to your neighbors, right? I mean, 
do I, I set up Christmas lights. <laughs> um, the other day I saw an, uh, an idea for it on Facebook and I just loved it. So I put up some candles and a star. I think, and, I think I've seen that too, actually. That's funny. Yeah, well, it's just little things, right? It's now is the time to be kind and, and to where we can, not necessarily really extend our hand, but do what we can where we can in our communities and, and really try and um, come together as a country because that's what we do best as Americans. We when, when In our darkest times, we shine the brightest and, and, and I know we're going to come out of this okay. So it's going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's very, very serious, but you know how hysteria creates more hysteria and more hysteria and, it, you know, it's just tough to, you know, people are justified in freaking out because people are dying. But the hysteria is just breeding. So now the time with the kindness. And that's why I'm trying to get a lot of these podcasts out because people have the time to hopefully take care of that self-care and prioritize their mental health. But what are some ways you plan on raising awareness for mental health in the future? In light of all this, maybe some things have changed. I'd love to hear your take. Sure. So I, um, even though I am in, well, I don't want to say even though, right, but so I'm in a senior leadership role and it's been really, really important to me to still be as open and honest about my personal story because A, I think it's really important for the patients I serve to see that strength, hope and experience and yes. also my teams that I work on. Um, it's really awesome that I work for a company that is supportive of me being so open about my story of recovery because uh, leadership really, everything begins and ends with leadership, right? So if my company was like, nope, Sarah, tone it down, right? It would be a very different experience than them kind of running with it. And, you know, I think I have a t-shirt on right now. It's from my company that says, proud to be stigma free, right? Like my company has really run with it, right? And so creating environments where we can be open and authentic in, in who we are, without repercussions, right, is really important because um, there are hundreds of millions of people in in recovery from mental health and or addiction issues. And if we all came out overnight sharing our stories, the whole world would change, right? I mean, it it really would. So I think authentically being ourselves and being courageous and brave and sharing our stories, um, I think is really, really important and the only way that any of this is gonna really change. Yeah, well, I appreciate you so much, Sarah, for coming on. Thank you again. I know our listeners will see all the value in your episode today. I love how you're open to speak from professional experience and personal experience. That's going to give so much value to everybody listening on. I'm a big believer in perspectives and how you can never get enough different ones because you never know where that golden nugget, that piece of value is going to come from. So thank you for that. But now it's time for the last word. And I do this on my other podcast series, What It's Really Like to Be an Entrepreneur, too, because I want to let our listeners really get to know my guests Is there something that you would like to share with everybody listening on that we did not touch on yet today? Um, All I want to say is be the change. Now more than ever, be the change that you wish to see in the world. That's my life mantra, but I feel like it's more uh, pertinent now to present state in America than ever before. Be the change. If you want to see something change in your community, your household, your personal life, make it happen. You know, if we each are the change in a positive way that we want to see, it all will work out in the end. I agree with you 100%. Can you please share your social media website or ways for our listeners to follow that good spirit? Sure. So um, on Facebook, I'm Sarah Howroyd, H-O-W-R-O-Y-D, sarahowroyd.com. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, Sarah C. Howroyd. And I follow away, friends. <laughs> Absolutely. Be sure to check out all of her social media and her website so you can stay in touch with all of her great updates and content. And be sure to check out the show on Instagram and Facebook at A Mental Health Break and on Twitter at Podcasts by Lancey. I'm at Vincent A. Lancey on all social media and YouTube. 
and my website is vincentalancy.com. Be sure to check out my book, Left for Dead, A Story of Redemption, on Amazon now, but DM me or email me. I want to hear what you think. If you liked today's episode, please continue listening and rate A Mental Health Break with Vincent A. Lancy five stars. I work hard to find value delivering guests for you on each episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all on the next episode of A Mental Health Break with Vincent A. Lancy.